Hello, and welcome to Methods, an exploration in guided prayer and meditation. Today we'll read another vision account, but one that describes vision. This is from St. Nicholas of Cusa on the vision of God. In this work, the Cardinal rethought the basic issues found in previous attempts to bring together the opposing scriptural texts that on the one hand presented the vision of God as the goal of existence, and on the other hand denied that God could ever be seen. Cusa's solution used aspects of the thought of Neoplatonic mystics, such as Dionysius, John Scotus Erigena, and Meister Eckhart. But it was also very much a new creation. Like Dionysius, he insisted that seeing God always remains a paradoxical not-seeing-seeing. Along with Erigena, he identified God's seeing with his creative activity. Finally, he took over from Eckhart the idea of the mutuality of the gaze that the Dominican expressed in the famous statement, The eye in which I see God is the same eye in which God sees me. This can also be seen in the thought of philosopher George Berkeley in his essay, Es Persepi. To be is to be perceived. Or Alfred North Whitehead's process philosophy in the terms of actual entities. Or in the thought of Thomas Merton in New Seeds of Contemplation when he says, to be unknown of God is altogether too much privacy. Cusa's treatise begins with a practical exercise designed to provide ready access to mystical theology. He sent the monks an all-seeing picture of Christ and suggested a paraliturgy in which the community would process around the icon to induce wonder in the change of the unchangeable gaze, directed to each and all. This experiment was accompanied by a treatise in the form of a prayer divided in three parts. Chapters 4 to 16 are an extended analysis of the meaning of seeing God, Visio Dei, understood both as God's own seeing and our own vision of Him. Central to this section are the notions of biblical face-to-face vision, the wall of paradise, or limit of all rational thought, and finally naming God as absolute infinity, infinitas absoluta. The core message of this presentation of the dynamics of the gaze is that God is never the object of seeing, but is always its subject. The brief second section shows why the proper understanding of seeing God reveals that God is a loving trinity of persons. Finally, chapters 19 to 25 demonstrate that the only way we can attain to the vision of the triune God is through the filiation or adoptive sonship made available through us made available to us through the union of the divine and human natures in Jesus. The selections given here illustrate the three essential themes of the first selection. How great is the multitude of your sweetness, which you have hidden from those who fear you. 
This is the inexpressible treasury of the greatest joy. To taste your sweetness is to apprehend by experiential contact the sweetness of all delights and its principle. It is to attain the source of all that is desired in your wisdom. To see the absolute source, which is the source of all things, is nothing else but to taste you mentally, God, since you are the very sweetness of existence, life, and understanding. Lord, what else is your seeing than for you to be seen by me, and when you look upon me with the eye of your mercy? And seeing me, you who are the hidden God, give yourself to be seen by me. No one can see you unless you grant that you may be seen. To see you is nothing else than for you to see the one who sees you. I see in this icon of you how ready you are, Lord, to show your face to all who seek you. For you never close your eyes and you never turn them somewhere else. And although I turn myself away from you when I look completely towards something else, you nonetheless do not change your eyes or your gaze because of this. If you do not look upon me with the eye of grace, it is my fault because I have separated from you through turning away and turning towards something else that I prefer to you. You still do not turn totally from me, but follow after me with your mercy so that I might at some time want to return to you in order to be open to your grace. You're not looking upon me is because I do not look toward you, but reject and spurn you. O oh, infinite mercy, how unhappy is every sinner who has deserted you, the source of life, and who seeks you not in yourself, but in what is nothing in itself, and would remain nothing, did you not call it forth from nothingness? How foolish is the one who seeks you, goodness itself, and while he seeks you, departs from you, and turns his eyes away. All seekers seek only the good, and everyone who seeks the good and departs from you, departs from what he seeks. Therefore, every sinner wanders away from you and goes off a long way. But when he returns to you, you meet him without delay, and before he looks upon you, you cast your eyes of mercy upon him with fatherly love. For you to have mercy is the same thing as for you to see. Your mercy follows after each person as long as he lives, and wherever he goes, just as your seeing never abandons anyone. As long as a person lives, you do not cease to follow after them and to urge them on with a sweet and interior warning to leave error and to be converted to you in order to live happily. Lord, you are the companion of my pilgrimage. Wherever I go, your eyes are always upon me. Your seeing is also your moving. Therefore you move with me and never cease moving as long as I move. If I am at rest, you are with me. If I ascend or descend, so do you. Wherever I go, you are there. You do not forsake me in time of tribulation. As often as I call on you, you are there, for to call on you is for me to return myself to you. You cannot fail a person who turns toward you, nor can anyone turn toward you unless you are there first. 
You are present before I turn myself to you. For unless you were present and invited me, I would be wholly ignorant of you. And how could I be converted to you if I did not know you? Lord my God, the longer I behold your face, the more it appears to me that you cast the gaze of your eyes more acutely upon me. Your gaze now moves me to consider how this icon of your face is painted in a perceptible way in such a manner that the face cannot exist without color, just as the color cannot exist without quantity. I behold the truth of your invisible face signified in this contracted shadow here, not by the fleshly eyes that look upon it, but by mental and intellectual eyes. But your true face is free from every form of limitation. It has no quantity, quality, time, or place. It is the absolute form, the face of faces. I am astounded when I consider how this face is the truth and most exact measure of all faces. There is no quantity in this face that is the truth of all faces. It is not smaller or greater than any other face. Because it is not more or less, it is equal to any and every face. But it is not equal to any single face, because it is not quantified, but it is unlimited and high above all. It is therefore the truth that this equality itself, free from every form of quantity, Thus, Lord, I grasp that your face precedes every face capable of taking a form and is the exemplar and truth of all faces. All faces are images of your face, which is incapable of contraction and of participation. Therefore, every face that can gaze upon your face sees nothing different or other than itself because it sees its truth. Exemplary truth cannot be different or strange but these aspects occur in an image because it is not the exemplar. Lord God, helper of all who seek you, I see you in the garden of paradise, and I do not know what I see because I see nothing of what is visible. I know this alone, that I know I do not know what I see and that I can never know it. I do not know how to name you because I do not know what you might be. If anyone were to ask me to use one or another name, by the very fact that the name would be used, I know that it is not your name. The limit of every mode of signifying by names is the wall beyond which I see you. If anyone were to make use of some concept in order to conceive of you, I know that that concept is not yours because every concept reaches its limit at the wall of paradise. And if someone were to make use of some likeness and to say that you are conceivable according to it, I also know that that likeness is not yours. If someone were to proclaim some understanding of you, desiring to provide a mode for understanding you, this would still be far from you, for you are separated from all such things and by the most lofty wall. The wall separates you from everything that can be said or thought because you are free from all that can fall under any kind of concept whatsoever. Hence, when I am lifted up on high, 
I see you as infinity. It is because of this that you are inaccessible, incomprehensible, unnameable, unmultiplied, and invisible. Therefore, it is necessary that someone approaching you ascend above every limit and every end and everything finite. But how can someone come to you, who are the end toward which he aims, if he ought to ascend above that end? Doesn't someone who ascends above the end enter into what is undetermined and confused and thus into the ignorance and darkness of intellectual confusion as far as the intellect is concerned? Therefore, if someone wants to see you, his intellect must become ignorant and set in shadow. Oh my God, what is an intellect and ignorance? Isn't it learned ignorance? No one can draw near you who are infinity God, save through the one whose intellect is ignorance itself. That is, who knows that he is ignorant of you. How can any intellect grasp you who are infinity? To understand infinity is to comprehend the incomprehensible. The intellect knows that it is ignorant of you because it knows that you cannot be known save by knowing what is not knowable and seeing what is not visible and drawing near to what is not accessible. My God, you are absolute infinity itself, which I see as the infinite end. But I do not know how to grasp how an end without end can be an end. God, you are your own end, because you are whatever you have. If you have an end, you are that end. Therefore you are the infinite end, because you are your own end, and because your end is your essence. The essence of the end is not limited or ended in something other than the end but in itself. Therefore the end that is its own end is infinite and every end that is not its own end is a finite end. Lord, because you are the end that puts an end to all things, therefore you are the end that is not an end, and thus an end without end, or infinite. What surpasses all reason involves a contradiction. Hence when I assert the existence of the infinite, I admit a light that is dark, a knowledge that is ignorant, and something necessary that is impossible. Because we admit to an end of what is finite, we necessarily admit to the infinite, or the final end, or the end without end. Just as we must admit that finite things exist, we must also admit that the infinite exists. Therefore, we admit a coincidence or contradictories above, which is the infinite. That kind of coincidence is the contradiction without contradiction, just as it is the end without end. You tell me, Lord, that just as in unity otherness exists without otherness because it is in unity, so too in infinity contradiction exists without contradiction because it is infinite. Infinity is simplicity itself. Contradiction cannot exist without otherness. But in simplicity, otherness exists without otherness, because it is simplicity itself. 
everything that is predicated about absolute simplicity coincides with it because there is where it exists. The opposite of opposites is an opposite without opposite, just as the end of things finite is the end without end. Therefore, you, God, are the opposite of opposites because you are infinite. And because you are infinite, you are infinity itself. In infinity, the opposite of opposites exists without an opposite. Thank you for participating in this episode of Methods. For more information, visit us at methodspodcast.com or on social media at Methods Podcast. If you'd like to support what we're doing, you can donate to us on patreon.com slash methods. Until next time.